Today, I want you to turn with me. Are you ready for this? You hadn't been here in a while. I want you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I want you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've been meditating on how sometimes in life you just wonder, does it make sense? Is there any meaning to life? And what I'm, is what I'm doing mattering? Is it going to make a difference? Have any of you experienced that? If you haven't, you probably will. So if you don't need this message today, you may need it tomorrow or next week. And so I want it to be there for you. I believe that's why God left it here in the book of Ecclesiastes for us. I'll tell you a quick story and then I'll begin. I haven't preached extensively from the book of Ecclesiastes since I was 13 years old. I preached from the book of Ecclesiastes when I was 13 because I was asked to preach for a youth Sunday. Now, at 45, I'm looking back going, what was a 13-year-old doing in the book of Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes is one of those deep wisdom books of Scripture. And I believe you should go there at 13. In fact, so for our young people who are in the room today, I want to challenge you the, the way that I have challenged my son this past week is to read through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's 12 chapters. But not only that, adults, I want you to read through it as well. If you've not been in that book for a while, I want you to read through all 12 chapters this week. You could do it pretty fast. I would just put on my phone and let it play, and I would just listen to it this week as it would be spoken in the, in the background. And, and so the book of Ecclesiastes is believed to be written by uh, King Solomon, the, the greatest, wisest king uh, of Israel. And he takes up the issue of what is the meaning of life? He's trying to find out, does life have any meaning at all? And, and so it begins in chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, the words of the preacher. Now, some of your translations may say the, the word of the teacher. That word is in the Hebrew koheleth, which means the, the one who brings a group of people together in order to tell them something, to teach them something. So Solomon is the king calling people together. He's going to preach to them for a minute. He's going to teach them some things. And in verse 2, he begins with this. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his works? Now, I will tell you that when you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you will look at that on the first pass and you'll go, that is the most discouraging thing I've ever read. It is, uh, it is not unlikely for you to read it and go, that's heavy. That's very heavy. And, and it is. And I would tell you that Solomon is not a cynic. So he's not being cynical. But he is being a stark realist. He is, can I just say it this way? Sometimes we need truth and we need it with a little bit of honey, right? right. You, you, it, it goes down easier when it has some honey behind it. But, but then there are times where, let's just be honest, you just need to get popped in the mouth with the truth. Can I say it that way? There, there are times where it's like, you know what? Honey's no good for me right now. I just need somebody to confront me with the truth to, to put all the niceties away and just say, this is how it is. Solomon is doing that. So if you're looking for honey, 
there's not much honey till I get to the very end. You're going to have to hold on. Okay? Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless is what he's saying. That word in Hebrew comes from this word that means smoke. And he's saying, so all of life is like, like smoke, like a, like a vapor. It's here and then it's gone and it simply disappears. He uses that phrase 37 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. You think he thinks it's important? I've told you before, if the Bible says something once, pay attention to it. If it says it twice, really pay attention to it. If it says it three times, you really need to take note. 37 times, he says, vanity of vanity. All is vanity. And here is, think about this. Now, here is a king who has seen it all, who has done it all, and who has had it all. Seen it, done it, had it all. And he's saying all is vanity. And so he, he goes into these things of life that oftentimes captivate our attention. And we can spend all of our lives pursuing these things. And I want us to look at them because at the end of all of these, his conclusion is this, they're, they're just all vanity. So he begins with wisdom. Is it okay if we look at the Bible a lot today? I'm going to hold it in my hand and walk around and I'm just going to talk from it because I, I, I want us to just run through the, the chapters here. And so he begins with wisdom and it says in chapter 1 that he pursues wisdom. And then he, he goes on down and he says this about wisdom. That he found that in wisdom there was much grief and in increased knowledge results in increased pain. Have any of you ever realized that the more you know about something, the weightier that issue becomes? That, that it wasn't as heavy when you were naive, right? The, the world wasn't as hard a place when you were young and naive. But the more you learn about life and how it happens, you realize, wow, there's a lot of grief in what you know. Have any of you ever carried wisdom or information about a situation you were in a situation where you had to be confidential and you knew more than the other people around you and they were just walking around and being completely naive and you're sitting there going oh if you only knew what i knew if you only knew what what i knew right now there's always these situations where we walk in as the one who's naive and we're just ignorance is bliss <laughs> all good but then there's usually somebody behind there going oh if you only knew what I knew, you'd understand the weight of this situation. And so he pursues wisdom, but he finds out that, that wisdom is a, is a heavy thing. But he does say this, and I want to speak this to our young people today. He, he says in uh, chapter 2, verse 13, And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. So young people, can I speak to you for a minute and say, if you're going to pursue something, wisdom's not bad. Amen. Wisdom's not a bad thing to pursue. In fact, in all you're getting, get wisdom because it is profitable. But in the end, here is his conclusion that regardless, the fate of the wise and the fate of the foolish are all the same. Verse 14, one fate befalls them all. We all die. The fate of the wise and the, the fate of the foolish is that at the end of the day, the wise men would die and so would the foolish man die. And he says, and so he found that in pursuing wisdom, it was futility, verse 17, that it was striving after the wind. 
So if you pursue something heavy like wisdom and that feels like smoke and it just disappears and you tell yourself, well, it doesn't matter how much I know or I don't know, we're all going to die. You know what? Let's just have ourselves a good time. Anybody ever pursued that version of life? You're like, you know what? Life's just heavy. There's just a lot of stuff going on. You know what? I just want to forget it all. I just want to drink until I'm happy. I just want to party it up with my friends. And I just want to eat, drink, and be merry. So he pursues pleasure. And I will tell you that in the pursuit of pleasure, he had the ability to please himself like none other. And so in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of my labor, and this was my reward. He said, I worked hard for it. I'm going to play hard. Anybody ever met someone that had that kind of wisdom in life? They thought, you know what? I'm going to live it up. Because I work hard, I put in 40 hours a week, I get an honest check, so when the weekend comes, I'm going to live it up. And, and, and then, isn't that amazing how some people will spend their entire weekend trying to forget the week that they just lived? Hmm. They're going to live it up. And so he, he, he tries to live it up. And in other places we find out, I think, that Solomon had like uh, a thousand concubines. And at that point, I'm sitting there thinking, you know... Men, what was he thinking? Right? Women, what was, what was he? A thousand? It took you a thousand women to, to know that that was vanity, that, they, that that was taking you down a road that was going to be, be harmful. But he lives it up. He drinks it up. He carouses. He does all these things. And when he gets done, he says, you know what happens? You still die. It doesn't matter if you live it up and have a mighty good time. Or you're an old prude that never does anything. The two share one thing in common. They both die. So if he's tried wisdom and that didn't work, and he said, well, I'm just going to live it up and and just give myself to pleasure, and and that didn't work either. That was vanity. Then, Then maybe we ought to build something. Remember back when some of you were young and you were ambitious and all you could think about was building something? You know, you wanted to make a, a name for yourself. You wanted to do something in life. I, I put some things down in my Bible just because it reminds me of Solomon, that he's trying to acquire things, that he's looking for status in life, that he's trying to accumulate wealth, and, and he wants to be accomplished, and he wants to have influence. So he sets out and he starts building. Because surely if he builds something, he'll have a namesake, and his life will mean something. You know, there'll be a building with his name on it, a park in his name. So what does he do? It says that I built houses for myself. Chapter 2, verse 4. I planted vineyards. I I made gardens and parks and ponds. And he collected silver and gold. In the days of Solomon, y'all, it was said that the silver was piled up in the streets. Some of you were like, no, it wouldn't if I was there. (laughs) I'd have took some back to the house. But here's the interesting thing about Solomon. He had so much money that he had bought everything he could think of. Can you imagine that? That you've bought everything that you can think of to buy to where now you still have money left over and you're like, I don't know what to do with it. I I was watching this thing about a drug dealer one time and it said that the drug dealer made so much money. Why are you laughing? It's true. (laughs) 
He said that the, the drug dealer made so much money. He said, I was trying to find places to hide it and things to buy. And he said, before long, I realized that I'd bought everything that I needed and wanted. And I still had money left over. And he was stuffing it into his child's uh, stuffed animals. He was putting money in there because it was piling up and he didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> do you realize that it is possible to have so much that you have everything you can think of and then you look at it and you go, you know what? I'm still not happy. I'm, I, I'm still not fulfilled. There, there's still no meaning to life. And, and so he does all those things and he's still searching for meaning. And then he thinks about doing good and he says, well, well, maybe I can just do good and things will work out because everything happens good for good people, right? Nothing bad ever happens to good people, right? <laughs> That's what we think sometimes. Well, God, I've been good, so you, you owe me. We never say that out loud. We, we'd never, we would never look to God and go, God, I've been good. You owe me. We're, we're smarter than that. But, but we're, we live that way as though, why are bad things happening to, to me? And, and so he examines that. And in, in chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. That's discouraging sometimes, isn't it? When, when you're trying to do what's right and it seems like nothing's going your way, but then you look out at other people and they keep doing all the wrong things, they keep just pursuing evil and their hearts are far from God and it looks like they're being blessed and you can't help but want to pause for a minute and go, do you see what I see? And Solomon says, you know what, I saw that too. That there are times where the righteous die and, and, and they, they didn't get what they thought they were going to get. And yet there, there are people who are far from God and it feels like their lives are blessed. And then over in 8.14, listen to this, there is futility which is done on the earth. That is that righteous men to whom it happened according to their deeds of wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say to it, it is futility. Sometimes good things happen to bad people and, 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 and sometimes good things, good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. Solomon looks at that and goes, that's not fair. That's just meaningless. That's just futility. And then he realizes at the end of this journey that takes him most of his life. By the way, I think the quicker you learn this, the better off you are. So for our young people, the quicker you can learn the futility of these strivings, the better off you are. In fact, as a pastor, when I see people wanting to pursue these things, I pray that they're really good at it. I do. I, I pray that they're really good at it. If it's like their eyes, all they can see is money, then I'm like, I hope they make a lot of money real fast. Because then they can get to the end of it and see how futile it is and realize they need something more than money. Now, money's not bad, Right? It, it, it just is, it, it kind of makes you more of who you really are, right? It just makes you more of that. If people want success, then I pray, Lord, just give them a lot of success. Let them be real successful, real fast, so that then when they look back, they go, you know what, that didn't do it either. Because I believe if you get there fast enough, you have time then to look to the right place. And, and that's what I think Solomon is trying to do, is, to, is he's assembling the people and he's saying, look, I've been down this road, and I know... 
I know what you're saying because I said it too. But that won't happen to me. I, I won't be like Solomon. I can, I can have all those things and, and it won't control me and it won't change me and I'll love it. Let's just be honest. There's something very appealing about the things that Solomon pursued. Can we just acknowledge that? That, that there is something appealing about walking into the room and you get all puffed up because you think you're the smartest one there. Like you got it all figured out. Now everybody else, they absolutely confused, right? And misunderstand, but you got it all figured out. There's something very appealing about that. There's something very appealing about the, the pleasures of the world. I mean, let's be honest. To have money piling up in the streets, you're like, I don't know what that's like, but I'd just like to try it just to see what it's like. There's something very appealing about that. There's something appealing about the, the, the alcohol that the, regardless of the bad day, if you just drink enough of it, it can make you feel pretty good, right? There's something uh, appealing about that. And, and, and so we acknowledge that these things appeal to us, but after he's done it all, after he's had it all, after he's said it all, his conclusion is this, meaningless. It's just all meaningless. And then he says we go off into obscurity. You know what that means? It means you die and people forget about you. They don't even know you lived. That one stung this go around harder than any of the other ones. And I'll, I'll share a little bit of personal story with you. You know, my mother passed away in September. And one of the things you know if you walk through grief, if you've lost someone you love, is you always want to make sure that that person is not forgotten. You know, you, you want to make sure that the world doesn't pass them by. And so somehow you want to honor them and, and keep their names in remembrance and, and you want to bring their stories up because you don't want people to forget them. But what I started to realize after my mom passed away is how quickly we can be forgotten. I was looking through the genealogy of my family. And I, I know my dad, he's alive. I know my grandfather, he's passed away. I never met my great-grandfather. I realized I didn't know anything about him other than his name. I didn't know anything about him. He'd lived an entire life and I didn't know anything about him. Didn't know anything about my great-grandparents. And then I started watching people who, uh, who were passing away because, you know, I'm a pastor. And so I was looking the other day and, uh, at how many funerals I'd preached. Do you do that? Every now and again, you just look at how many people you married and how many people you buried. and uh, You look at the obituaries, and I'm going I'm to tell you my age, young people, for just a little bit. As you get older, your favorite part of the... I'm not there yet, okay? I'm not there yet. It's my son down here on the front row. As you get older, your favorite part of the newspaper is not the front page, it's the obituaries. You ever thought about that? Because as you get older, you're looking because all your friends are beginning to pass away. All the people you knew and grew up with, they're starting to pass away. And so you check those pages to see who's, who's there because you want to know if, if someone else is gone today. And, and so that becomes your favorite part. And I thought, you know, man, you can be so easily forgotten. In fact, one last personal story that I'll get old. We planted Ember five years ago. And before that, I had been an associate pastor at Chester Freedom for... 15 years. I started in 2000. We made the decision to plan Ember in October, and we all as leaders developed a plan 
for me to exit all of the things that I was doing at, uh, at Chester Freedom and pass those off to other people. In those three months, I began to pass those things off. And you know what I found out? It didn't take three months. <laughs> those people picked those things up and they ran with them. And at the end of three months, I, I left and we cried and we laughed and we started this new thing together. And I'm walking along. And after a while, I remembered, they're not calling me. So you know where I'm going, don't you, Anita? Anybody else know where I'm going? I'm like, they, they're not calling me. I'm like, surely as important as I was, <laughs> that they are struggling without me. Surely they'll call me. A few more months pass on and I decided to call them. <laughs> Everything good? You need anything? No, we're fine. Crushed. Absolutely crushed. Because I thought they couldn't do without me. And the sober reality of everyone, not just me, is that the world can't do without God. But it can do without you. Amen. Woo, if that ain't a sober piece of medicine right there, isn't it? <laughs> Man, so, so now when I see people going through similar situations, my heart goes out to them. I know what they're feeling. I'm like, yeah, I know. You thought that they were going to need you and, and you thought that they were going to call. But the reality is they moved on so fast and you realized, wow, the world needs God. It doesn't need me. And so then Solomon draws these conclusions that I want to, to bring out today to you. Here's a couple of conclusions. That everything he pursued failed to deliver on what it promised. Can you think on that one with me? Everything that he pursued failed to deliver on what it promised. All of those women couldn't deliver on what he thought they promised. All that money couldn't deliver. All that fame couldn't deliver. All of those things that he built couldn't deliver. You will find when you go long enough that everything you thought was going to make you happy that is not rooted in God will overpromise and underdeliver. He finds this that accumulating things is like accumulating smoke. He even says, he built up all these things and he's going to die and he's going to pass them off to somebody who did not even help him work for them. You ever thought about that? You, you're making an inheritance, and one day you're hoping to, to give that inheritance over, and he realized, I'm giving it over to maybe my children, and they didn't work for it. And you know what? They may or may not value it the way that I value it. You build all these things, you hand it off to somebody, and they take it, and they change it. What? They, they, they change it. They go in a completely different direction than you. And you're like, whoa, 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 hold, hold on. Well, what are you thinking? And so Solomon realizes, man, I put all this work into things. And I gave it away to somebody. And, and they completely can change it or, or waste it away. And so he realizes that accumulating things is like smoke. That the rich and the poor... They're, they look the most alike on the day that they die when they leave everything behind. Lots or little. And then he says this, 
what I have discovered. It's the end of the chapter. And I got to tell you, I want to try to complete this because when I got to the end, the summary, the exclamation point, the this is the point of life, I read it and I went, huh, that, that didn't do it for me, Solomon. That, that didn't do it. Here's his conclusion. It's chapter 12, verse 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is this. Fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. And God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. I got to that conclusion. I'm like, you spent your whole life and that's the best you can come up with? I'm left wanting when, when I get there. He says that the, the best we can do is to, is to fear God. Now, real quick. We know the fear of God is not a fear that turns you away from God. Okay? Right? If you have a fear of God that causes you to run from God, you have an improper fear of God. The fear of God is a, is a reverence and an awe for who He is and His power. But there is also something that causes you not to run, but bow. You look at fear in the Bible of godly men and women. They don't run, they bow. They realize who God is. It's like standing in front of the Niagara Falls. Have any of you ever done that? You stand before this thing and you realize how insignificant you are. You realize how powerful the water is flowing over that waterfall. You can't help but lock eyes on it. You just stare at it because of its beauty and its power and how substantial it is and how insignificant you are. And you go, wow because you can't find words for it. That's the fear of God. That there is beauty, and there is strength, and there is power, and there is something that causes you to look and go, wow. Solomon says, that is what conclusion you need to draw. That at the end of the day, you've got to have your sights set on God, and you've got to do His commandments, because I'll speak again to our young people. Because I can tell you that the laws of God, the will of God, is not there in order to keep you from having fun. Can I tell you that? God didn't put His laws down because He wanted to keep you from having fun. He put His laws there because He knew there was a cliff, and if He didn't put something there, you'd walk right off. And so He loved you enough to say, you know what? Don't tell lies. You know what? <laughs> Love your parents. Y'all don't have to pay me any extra parents for putting that one in there. <laughs> you know what? Don't, don't harm people. Don't do harm to people. Because he knew those things. And on and on and on and on. And so, and so he says that we obey his commands and then we enjoy. We enjoy life. Now that's something that we don't preach as, as Christians enough sometimes. And when you do, people say, Oh, you're just preaching to humanity's end. Solomon looked at life and he said, you know what? You should enjoy life. Can I tell you? You should enjoy your family. You should enjoy every moment. Because there may be a day that you start departing from one another and stepping over into the other side. And then you'll wish that you'd spent far less time at work and far more time at home around the dinner table. Yeah. You, you'll, you'll wish that you had enjoyed those seasons of life, all of them when they come with your, your children. 
And, and so he says, enjoy life. <laughs> and, and I'm looking at that and, and I'm still not, I'm not satisfied. I'm like, I think there's something more. And then I'm reminded of this. Do you realize that when you read the Old Testament, you have to run everything that is written in the Old Testament through the cross? Did you know that? Because when some things come to the cross, they either are made obsolete or they're changed or sometimes they remain the same. Like nowadays, we're not up here killing animals and sacrificing them anymore, are we? No, nah, because you see that goes through the cross and Jesus becomes the perfect sacrifice so we don't have to make anymore. You see, the, the temple, there was a temple where God would meet, but then Jesus comes down and He tabernacles among men. Oh, that's a whole other message. That got me really excited right there. <laughs> and, and so we don't, we don't go to temples in order to meet God. You are the dwelling place of God. You see how Jesus changed that? And now I'm looking at Ecclesiastes and I'm like, Lord, I sure hope you can change a little something about Ecclesiastes because it's, it's just it's leaving me there. And so when you pass Ecclesiastes through the life of Jesus, real quick, we got to move fast. Go to Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells a, a story, a parable. It's a story about a rich man. He, he has a, a, a bountiful harvest. And he has these silos. And he has so much of a harvest that his silos are too small. So he decides that he'll just build some bigger silos. He'll store it all. He has so much that now he can just relax. In fact, he draws the conclusion that Solomon draws. I'll just eat, drink, and be merry. I finally made it. I have finally made it, this man says, to the place where I have built even bigger silos I don't have to work. I don't have to go in on Monday morning, praise the Lord. I, I can sit at home because I've got enough to do me forever. But Jesus continues to tell the story and He says at that moment where He reached the pinnacle of what He thought was success, He had it all, He had enough. That night He laid His pillow, His head on His pillow and little did he know that was the night that his life would be required of him. He'd done it all. He'd accomplished everything. He'd secured his future. But that night, he didn't know when he went to bed he was going to breathe his last. And what Jesus said is this, what a foolish man. Because he spent his entire life trying to create a harvest under the sun, as Ecclesiastes would say. He was trying to store up wealth on this side of eternity, but he did not prepare for the other side of eternity. And so when that night, when he breathed his last, he left everything behind and he stepped into eternity and he had nothing. That'll pop you in the mouth, won't it? And Jesus says, oh, how foolish. And he says to anyone who has, hear, has ears, would you hear this? <laughs> what you need to be doing is seeking first the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 12, verse 31. But seek His kingdom and the thing, all these things will be added to you. The Father has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. And so Jesus reminds us, just like Solomon, that these things don't go with us. We've heard that a thousand times. 
but I want to draw your attention. You remember the Beatitudes? Remember that beautiful message that Jesus preaches up on the mountain? The Beatitudes, they're so poetic. Well, one of those is this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. Yeah. Can you compare Ecclesiastes to Jesus? Ecclesiastes says, eat, drink, and, and be merry because you don't know how long you're going to live. Jesus says this, Blessed are you if your hunger and thirst is not for the world, not for food and drink, but for the righteousness of God, that your heart is for God. He said that person's going to be blessed. You want to know how to be blessed in life? <laughs> in all you're pursuing, pursue God. And be hungry and thirsty for God. And if you're hungry and thirsty for God, I've told you this, He will fill you. And if He doesn't, you come back to me and I'll give you a refund on this message. <laughs> I've yet to give a refund. Because the problem is not in our pursuing of God, it's in the times where we get distracted and stop pursuing Him. That was good. You better take that one home with you. The problem is not that you pursued God and He wasn't what you thought He was. The problem is He was being all that you thought He was until you stopped pursuing Him. You got distracted. So what do you do? Then come back. Get hungry and thirsty for the things of God again. And then last thing I want to read to you. And then we're going to move into communion. Man, this thing, Jesus tells this message to the people who are standing and He confuses them. He, he makes them angry. They hear this message and they walked away. In fact, so many of them walked away, he looked at the disciples and he's like, y'all going to go? Y'all going to? He, this word is so difficult for him that I want to read the whole thing to you. It's John. It's chapter 6. It's verse starting in verse 48. Listen to this. Notice the comparison between the eating and drinking and being merry and Ecclesiastes to eating and drinking from Jesus. Jesus says these words, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you will have no life in yourself. Mm. Can you imagine hearing that? They looked at Jesus and thought, He has lost His mind. He is talking about eating His flesh and drinking His blood. He, he is... He's lost his mind. Verse 54, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not of the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. What is Jesus saying? <laughs> Solomon, are you ready for this? Solomon was called the teacher, the preacher, the assembler. But Solomon wasn't faithful. 
It's one of the hardest characters, one of the hardest people of the Bible for me to understand because he had so much and he did not finish well. I bet you want to finish well. I bet you're here today because you want to finish well. But Solomon didn't finish well. But Jesus comes and He is our teacher and He is our eternally wise King and He is the faithful Son. He is the one that did not get distracted by the wisdom, didn't get distracted by the world, didn't get distracted by wealth. And what did He do? He gave His life away. This is the ultimate paradox of life. Everybody know what a paradox is? You know, you think it's one thing and it's actually another thing. It kind of does, doesn't quite make sense. Here, here is the paradox that Jesus finishes up that for me ties it all together. Do you want your life to have meaning? Do, do you want to have a life that is not vanity, vanity, all is vanity and end up in smoke? <laughs> then you know what you have to do? You don't try to save your life. You give your life away. It's the divine paradox. It's that if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life, you'll gain it. And Jesus demonstrates that on the cross when Jesus came not to live, but to die. To give His life, to serve people. And so in the giving of His life, He does the most substantial thing that was ever done for you. It's the greatest thing that was ever done for you. He gave His life so that you could have life. The greatest gift of all. He said, you know what? I'm not coming to live. I'm not coming to be king like they know. I'm coming to die so that they might have life. So the, the divine paradox of life is this. If you want your life to have meaning, give your life away. Serve someone. Stop trying to build your kingdom and build the kingdom of God. Minister to people. And I want to close with, with something that my wife, she preached this message to me. I asked her to preach it three times to me. I'll ask her to preach it again because I should have her do it. In fact, you should do this one day because I think it's better from you. <laughs> She's in the back. That's why I'm looking in the back. <laughs> At times, you always are kind of wondering, well, well, what does it all matter, right? What, what difference does it make? And, and, and you're wondering if you should keep going or you shouldn't keep going. And I'm like, Brantley, this thing in Ecclesiastes is not answering the question for me. And, and I see that it's this self-sacrificing life of Jesus that really brings life. And she said, well, Kevin, that's it. She said, it's not about the name that anyone makes for themselves in the future or how someone remembers them in the future. It's the interactions that you have with people right here and now. <laughs> do, do you realize that the, the enemy is always trying to get you to look past the present person and to build something that's somewhere out there and all the while you are forgetting about the person who is right in front of your face that you could be helping and have you ever noticed that some of the most meaningful moments in life is so when someone wasn't building their kingdom, but they stooped down and helped to build yours? Isn't that something? Everybody that you remember, every teacher <laughs> that is your favorite teacher, you know why she's your favorite teacher? Because she stooped down 
And she poured into you. And she loved on you and you felt it. And you know what it did? It changed you. And that's what Brantley she said to me. She said, what is important, I believe, is not this stuff that is laid up in the future. Let's not worry about that. Let's worry about the lives that we can change right now. The person that feels loved because I touched them right now. One of the most important moments of my life. I've told you this before. I'll tell it to you again because it's important. And when you get old, you start telling the same stories all over again. Over and over, Taylor. Over and over. I was sitting on a, on a stage of a church, and it was a very difficult moment. And it was my job to present that information. And when I presented it and I sat down, I felt so alone. I had never been so alone in all my life. And I thought, how did I get picked for that? And I am up here all by myself. And I'm just, I can't even think. And Brantley gets up and she comes and she never says a word to me. She just comes and she sits down right beside me. And she grabs my hand. And as a church, we prayed. And back then you voted and we voted. I don't even care. I didn't even care about the vote. Because all I could think about is the kind of love that would cause her to get up. When I felt toxic, <laughs> I, I, I felt like I, I had something on me at that moment because I'm the guy delivering the message and I feel like everybody's looking at me going, hmm. And when I felt toxic, she came and she touched me and she held my hand and she sat there. And the other day I went out to my mom's grave and it had Dorothy Taylor and it had a begin date and it had an end date and it had my father's name there. And the hardest part was seeing my father's because it had his birth date, but it didn't have his death date. <laughs> and I went, wow, it's coming for all of us. And then I started thinking about mine. And if I go and y'all preach my message instead of the other way, and I hope it's the other way, I hope I preach yours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's lighthearted. You got to kind of interject a little joy. You know, I, I would want a set of stairs on my tombstone. And I wanted to say that she's still with me. She's still by my side. She's still sitting on the stage of life with me. Still loving me. And sometimes I'm not easy to love. And that costs her something. And it's going to cost you something. But I want to tell you, if you want to live a meaningful life, you go out and pursue that stuff if you want to. You'll find out it's vanity, it's vanity, all is vanity.